0: Um, he's a really neat person, and I give you Carl C. Wow, good morning. My name is Carl C. I'm from Alatine. Wow, lots of friendly faces. Chris didn't really need any help. He just needed to know what to do and stuff and sort of push him in the right direction, and then he did it quite well on his own. Don't let him fool you. Um, I am in Alatine. I'm also in Al-Anon. I spend my time kind of between the two. Um, I'm the child of an alcoholic, I have other alcoholics in my family, and so I guess I'm kind of qualified to be here. It's a road that I must say I wouldn't recommend to anybody, but it's a road I personally have enjoyed. The recovery process has been something that's changed my life tremendously. The um, recovering from a disease as serious as alcoholism is something that shapes your life that is for the rest of your life. There's no way it can't change you. For me, it's changed mostly, I think, how, it make, how I make my decisions, how I react to other people, how I treat other people, basically how I interact with them. And so I thought I'd mention something today about how, that, how I've changed in that way. When I was young, my mother was drinking. Um, I reacted to everything she did. The focus of my life, and the focus of my actions was my mother and her drinking and the consequences of my actions on that drinking if there was a you know a slight sobriety i didn't want to do anything for fear i would upset the sobriety it wasn't sobriety we thought of it as such then sobriety of course is actual clear thinking Uh, what it was was a dry period you know perhaps it would be a day or two days whatever Um, and so all of my life revolved around the alcoholic my actions were always reactions to things she did to my other siblings i've got an older brother and two older sisters Um, the baby and um, as such i think i um oh i don't know i just whenever one of the older siblings would do something i would react to it as if i had to protect my mother or i had to take her side it was as if they were being cruel and mean because they were going to, they didn't know what they were doing, but they were detaching. My older brother figured out quite, I, you know, for, for me, I was quite young. He was perhaps so, like 14 or something at the time, that um, the easiest way to solve a situation in our house was for them, the kids not to take sides, not to get on one side or the other. So they wouldn't support mother or father. Which to me was terrible because I thought Mom would I would have to protect my mother, you know I would want to save her from these terrible people. I guess I'm not sure how my thinking went at the time. So I always sided with her, and I would always react to things they did. I think perhaps the reasons I did so was because I was well at the time I didn't have any Alanon or Alateen you know, in the program. I often wished I'd started it back then, but I didn't. And so I would project what would happen. If, if I didn't do this, well, if I don't do this, she's not going to love me. If I don't do this, she's not going to stay sober. If I don't do this, she's going to drink. And that little word, if, is the one that was the largest one in my life. And it was total projection. I could not live my own life for fear of what it might do to my alcoholic and to my family and things. I couldn't make decisions on my own. I was just a little kid. I just you know, six years old here. That's what I'm talking about, the time period. So from when I I was very young all of my actions were not my own like i said they were reactions and i i was raised in that situation and that followed on through the rest of my life later on i would always find myself overreacting to other people i would take my feelings and stuff them down inside rather than cause a argument rather than cause a dispute in the house i would take my feelings shovel them down inside ignore them whatever just so long as it didn't come out and it didn't cause problem for someone else, because that would be bad. Um, so what I would do is shove them inside, and later on they would come bursting out. I would overreact to other people. There'd be a little thing, just whatever, and I would I would flare out in anger violently. You know, which you know, for a little kid I was, you know, I guess a little old to throw temper tantrums, but I did it all the time. It was it was the only way I could understand of reacting to things, it was the only I could understand of dealing with them, was to, um, I would go through two ways. One, I would either ignore it or I would explode on it. I had no consistency. I had no control. My center of balance was way off in the boondocks somewhere. And so I didn't have any self-control over myself. And I didn't, um, Well, it wasn't until I found the Al-Anon program I really started making clear, conscious, rational decisions. It was with the first step that I started realizing how powerless I was over the situation and how if I was going to try and control other people's actions and I was going to let other people's actions control me, I was going to be in a big mess. There was no way that I could go through my elementary years and try to you know get my older brothers and sisters to do what i wanted them to do and still live my life in a healthy fashion and that's what i did i tried and i didn't i was a pretty mixed up little kid i really didn't know which way i was going i had no goals i you know i wanted to drop out of school and everything and i was you know little i thought well if i just just make to that line i could drop out and move out of the house and do all these things i wanted to run away both in you know, the kid run away from home type sense. I just wanted to run away from everything. Escape was my first choice. If I couldn't escape physically, I would escape mentally into my own head. I, you know, they got real proud of me because I would read a lot and I was a good kid. I would read because I didn't want to have to deal with things. Put me in a fantasy world. It was real nice. No problems. Um, I must say I was very lucky. I didn't have any nerves available to me at the time. Because if I did, I would have become an addict very quickly. You better get arrested. Um My behavior traits were, I, I guess you could say, typical of an alcoholic type personality. I would, um, I'll try to think of an example. I, I would always overreact to things above and beyond the call of duty. And I would have no consistency. I would, uh, generally, if I could justify something, if I could put it in the right for myself, I would do so. If I did something that was questionable, I could always find an excuse for it, and I was real good at stretching the truth, and lying didn't bother me at all. I had no honesty, and a lot of other traits like that, it just, it's not where I wanted to be. I look back at it now and I think, why was I there? Because I wasn't happy with what I was doing. It was not an enjoyable time for me. When I found the on program, it was the first three steps that cleared that up for me. It was uh, they've been summed up to. I've heard. I happen to like it this way. Uh, first step is I can't do it. Second step is somebody else can. And the third step is I think he'll. I think I'll let him. Short and simple. That's the way I worked it. I had to let my higher power into my life. I had none that I believed in at that time. I had no I had lost practically all belief in God. The only God I could picture was one that was going to condemn me. I had no spirituality, I didn't I went to church only when required by my father. Then it was it meant nothing to me. When I came into the program I discovered a higher power. I happen to call him God, but I don't have to and call him anything I want to. That higher power for me, he takes on many aspects. I mentioned in my last lead a little, perhaps some of you heard me speaking about him. It, for me, he's both a kind and loving God and a very mischievous God. He's a higher power that teaches me through pulling tricks on me, I guess you could say. He, uh, he has a sense of humor. That's something that I must say I'm very grateful for when i was in the alcoholic situation laughter was a thing that was such a rare commodity it was ridiculous if we laughed it was something because we wanted to ease the tension but it wasn't true laughter it was just moving your mouth and saying ha 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 it wasn't it wasn't laughter it wasn't humor it wasn't the real thing i couldn't smile and mean it I certainly couldn't get up in front of a crowd of people like this and sit here and try and talk to you because I would have frozen. It's not something that I could have done back then. The humor was something that my God of a higher power taught to me. Said, hey, it's all right. Through the group I discovered, you know, working in my meetings, you know, a lot of those things were pretty silly I did back then. four-year-old kid pouring out beer bottles, you know, that's real intelligent. Trying to steal the car keys, pull off your distributor wires—all kinds of great stuff. Oh, I had great fun. You should have seen me, little kid crawling. I've told that one before. I was just, little kid, I'm in the station wagon, big, huge station wagon. The great ones. I can't remember how big the engine is. And um, I, by the time I could crawl over the distributor wire, I think my feet were past the radiator, and the hood's part way up. And I'm, you know, that is. And the one that we were living over in. Then Delphont, and and the Delphont police officer pulls up and kind of looks at me like, what are you trying to do? And if the hood falls on me, I'm sure I'll be squished in there. They'll never find me until next year. And they open it up, you know, dead, you know. That's the one you pull, kid, now get out of there. I look back on it now, and it's funny, I can laugh about it. But the time, it was so blown out of proportion that I couldn't do anything about it except freeze. It says in the preamble to the Al-Anon meetings, As we learn to place our problems in this true perspective, we find it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and our lives. Man, did it dominate my thoughts and my life. That's all it dominated. I mean, just, that's all it did. I could not think of anything else except the alcoholism. To get a break from it was extremely rare, if ever. The focus was upon my mother and later upon my sister. And um, the focus was not on myself. I couldn't work on myself. I couldn't grow. I was caught as a six-year-old. Little six-year-old kid in, in a 12-year-old's body, trying to act like a 40-year-old. Good combination, huh? Which means I'd be perfectly mature, and you know, I could run around with my father, and we would be, I would be all dressed up in suit and tie and whatever, and I would be real formal, and I could be very adult-like. But I wasn't an adult looking like an adult sounding like an adult and generally appearing to be an adult does not make one an adult it's a common misunderstanding and i think it's a common trait amongst children who have come from an alcoholic home to be able to appear to be very adult-like when on the inside they're crying like a little baby that's what i was I was just destroyed inside, but I could put on this real neat, calm, serene outside shell that was hard and fine and polished, and it was I had no problems. Because if I had any problems, they would cause problems for other people, and I didn't want to do that. That was kind of way my thinking went. So I didn't tell any people my problems. I kept them with the inside. And that shell it, it would really destroy me because it, it just, it wouldn't allow me to grow in it. The shell would hold me in. It's interesting once I got into the program because I had to go back and become a kid again before I could grow up, which was kind of hard for me. It's, it's kind of hard to go back, but something needed to be done. And um, I don't know, my attitudes have changed a lot with it. As I, as I grew up and been in the program, I quit overreacting to an extent, started putting some things in their perspective, realizing that I didn't have to do everything on myself. by myself. I could let my higher power, and in my opinion, I should let my higher power take over those things and not worry about them, not try to take them back. You know, let go and let God and keep your hands off of them so there. Don't give them to them and take them back. That's what I had to learn. They used to try and tell me, you know, Carl, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth and listen to what we're trying to tell you. Because I would sit there and I'd say, okay, God, you take care of it. And then I would snatch him back because I said, I can do it. It was constantly day-by-day day thing, taking the first step. I wanted to be in control. I wanted to manage. Because I mean, I can manage my mother's life. Surely I can manage my own. Manage my mother's life. Great eight-year-old kid managing mother's life mm-hmm. sure um so anyways, i tried to manage things that i shouldn't have i tried to continue to manage it when i should have let god my higher power take it over i'd give it up and take it back give it up and take it back when i finally started to detach it's, it's a couple interesting stories to go along with that one was the, the first night that, um, well, after we'd been in the program, the first night my mother started drinking after we'd been in the program. I guess you could say the first real test we got of our Al-Anon programs. Um, I say the Al-Anon program. I, st- I went into the Al-Anon program first. We didn't have an Al-Anon meeting. So I, I started an Al-Anon meeting. I went there for about two years. And then we found an Al-Anon meeting. I've skipped back and forth between al and Al-Anon ever since. Um, Anyway, so it was the first test, I guess you could say of for Allen on on a dramatic scale. And it was the first time mother we had had a slip since we went through a treatment center family pro, you know family treatment program type thing. We were all cured, maybe I don't know. Any anyway, rate, it was our first test for the program. And the feelings we had, we were torn between staying home, to keep my mother safe because at the time she was well I don't know if suicidal is the right term but she was often thinking along those terms in those days. She was something we always wanted to protect and the choice became between staying home and going to our meeting and so we had a family meeting about it and our final decision was that we had to take the focus off of her and put it on ourselves. And so we did. We left her a note that said, Mom, we love you. We're putting you in God's hands. I was going to put after it. We're doing it for real this time. And good luck. And we left. We were gone for about three hours. And by the grace of God, when we came back, she was fine. We were all much happier. We had gone on. We had to. It was detachment. And I must say, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. To detach from another human being you love so dearly It's easily confused with abandonment. And in those early days, it was a fine line for me. I didn't understand the difference. I didn't understand that detachment meant loving them enough to let them make their own mistakes. It meant not trying to save my sister when she got herself into trouble. A friend of mine says that there's a bundle theory, a theory that, you know, God gives each person a certain bundle of problems in their life to take care of. It's their responsibility to take care of those. And it made sense after that happened. Because for me, I don't have the right to take care of someone else's problems. Not only does it hurt me, but it also hurts them. If I take care of someone else's problems, I hurt their right to grow. They don't have a chance to get where they're supposed to, and their higher power can't work with them because I'm interfering. I'm getting in the way of what their God, their higher power, whatever it is they believe in, I'm getting in the way of what they intended, what he intended for them. And I don't think I have that right. And so for me detachment was loving the person enough to let them go. And that was hard. It really was. <coughs> Excuse me. After detachment, I think detachment was the thing that didn't come easy. It didn't come like, there it is, you know, just all of a sudden, poof. It was the thing that came by weeks and months and years. So, I mean, it's still coming to me gradually. I don't have detachment down by any means. I never will. I don't think I can say that of any parts of the Al-Anon, Al-Ateen, AA programs. There's nothing I can say about it that, okay, I can do that now. And it, it's all nice and perfect, and that's one of the things I can do. It's, it's something that it requires for me a constant growing process. To me it's not a, it's not a place or it's not a how do they say it's not a finish line it, it's a process it's what it has to be for me at any rate um so with detachment i think i got a little bit of serenity and serenity was one of the things i needed to make my decisions serenity prayer was very helpful to me once i started listening what the words were it's real neat when you say something for eight nine ten months and you suddenly say hey i wonder what that really means you ever do that you go to your, your meetings and you say the 12 steps and you say the words you can say them by heart but you don't know what they mean you give the give the program lip service but i didn't really give it my all i didn't give it any effort i was getting out exactly what i was putting in which means i wasn't getting anywhere i was going to meetings but going to meetings does not mean that you're going anywhere um, so the serenity prayer, that God grant me the serenity, give me that calmness, give me the peace of mind to actually make a decision. And when I asked for it, it was there. It's, um, from that prayer came a, an interesting attitude that I have. And it's been a long time informing. My friends see it now, they're not in the Alateen program, they're not in the Al-Anon program, they're not in play with in any way but they often comment on it, because they see it as a large part of my life. As a matter of fact, my girlfriend was the one that finally pinned it down. It was, um, many things that happened, and each time somebody said something about, you know, well, what about this, what about this, and they were all in a test, so you know, just all up in that floor, and I said, hey, it's not a big deal. Something big would happen later on, weeks, or months, and I'd say, it's not a big deal. And the, term, the phrase kept coming up, and someone finally asked me, Carl, is anything a big deal to you? And I said, no, nothing is a big deal. With God's help, I can handle anything that's going to come my way. There are things that are important. There are things that are that are more significant than others. But it's not a big deal. It's nothing I have to get hysterical over. I, with God's help, I can handle whatever comes my way. That's nice. It's a reassurance. It's a feeling that God's not going to throw anything my way that he doesn't mean for me to have so I can handle it. With his help i'll take my part i'll work on myself get rid of my character defects that relate to that particular problem and i'll let him take care of the rest and we'll do great that's the way it's gone five years now i haven't run into a problem yet nothing's a big deal you don't have the way my father puts it is attitude is everything if you don't want to make it a problem it's not you can handle anything i can handle anything in whatever manner i choose to I can take any problem and blow it out of proportion as much as I want to. Or I can handle it as it truly is. It just depends on how I want to handle it. That's the way I choose to do it now. I choose to reduce it to its smallest true form. Just break it down. What's you know, What's really going on here? What's the problem? What's the worst that can happen? What am I going to do? What's God going to do? I'm going to turn it over and don't worry about it. You know, it's easy, does it, but do it. That's a friend of mine, 10 I think he's got a belt buckle that says that. He's hiding back there somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, um, you, you have to do your part. I had to learn that just saying, okay, God, now you do that and the problem's going to be solved. I don't have to do anything about it. Wasn't going to make my problems go away and vanish. And everything was going to be, you know, easy. I, I never said that it was going to be an easy solution. And many times they're very, very difficult for me. Detachment, like I said, was, was a major one. That was the solution. And the solution was hard work and sweat. Still is. It doesn't mean, okay, there it is. Poof, it's, it's done. No magic wands, no miracle solutions. Just an answer. For me, it's, it's a course I happen to like. It's laid out for me. And I don't have to worry about the confusion I used to have of indecision. My sister likes to say that you never trip over mountains. It's a similar type thing. I feel that it's very seldom in my life that the large problems are what would trip me up. I can see a mountain, I can look at it and say, okay, that's how big it is. And I start climbing, I work and i work and Eventually I'll reach the top and I'll go on. But the little, the little molehills, the little stuff, it's the little stuff that gets me. Cause I think I can handle this without my higher power. I can handle this without using my program. I don't make a conscious decision that way, but that's way my mind works. It seems like I, I used to reserve, and to some extent, I still do, reserve my program for the major problems: alcoholism, you know, um, deaths, divorces, you know, the major things. It, it works for me all the way down, my, all the way down the line. Every aspect of my life, this program works in. There, there's nothing you can't help me with, and so. If I let the little stuff trip me up, I'll miss me that much worse off than the big things. I figure if God can handle you know, taking over my big problems, why can't he handle the little ones? Why not give it to him? It's been said before, and I, I like it also, that there's, there's only one thing that I have that I can give my higher power as a gift that he didn't first give me, and that's my character defects and many of us have a major character defects i have mine which i have given over to my higher power i was reluctant to give him my little ones my little quirks the little things that make things easier for me you know and it's for me it was those things that are hard to let go of and let god take but they are character defects and i still have to let go of them it's using it through all parts of my inventory not just the first couple things you think of on the list it's using my higher power to get rid of all of those things, which I don't like about my inventory, right down the line. Every one of them. I used to always, and I still do I guess, um, get on my pity pot a lot. Uh, you know, coming from the program, I would think, oh, my mother's an alcoholic. You know, that was a great excuse. That was fantastic. If I wanted to get out of homework, if I wanted to get out of an assignment, if I wanted to get out of anything, the teacher goes up there and she'd ask me why I didn't do it, and I wouldn't answer her. And she'd ask me why, and I said, I don't want to tell you. And so she'd, well, she'd, like, she'd realize, oh, there's a problem here. She called me out in the hall, and I'd confide me around. I'm an alcoholic, my mother's an alcoholic, you know, and say, oh, I'm sorry, don't worry about it, okay, whatever, you know. And it's, it's really great, you know, it's, it is the absolute best excuse you can ever use. It really is. You can get away with murder, you know. It's no problem. And I did. I did. It was terrible. And that's what I did. I would use those things as an excuse, as a justification for my own shortcomings and my own character defects. And um, so, at least for getting off my pity pot, I have a way now. And it's that I've seen enough people in the Al-Anon and the AA programs, in the Alateen programs i know there's at least somebody out there that's worse off than i am there always is i've seen so many people who i think i looked at other people and i think man i am glad i ended up with as easy as i did because i've seen some bad situations there are ones i would really not want to be want to be in i'd rather take mine than that one no questions asked and gratitude comes in Good old simple gratitude. You know, thank you God, I don't think I could have handled that. You know, if it had come my way, I guess I could have, but it didn't, so I'm glad it didn't, you know, because it probably wasn't meant for me. There are situations which are out there which are a lot worse than mine. And there is a line at which survival exists, just pure old simple survival. Pure shelter and food, and that's it. And for me now, anything about that line has to be a bonus, has to be a luxury because there are people who are below that line still making it and I think it's pretty pompous of me to complain about my problems and not do anything about it. I, I complain and gripe a little bit here and there, I think probably more so than I should but I think it's rather pompous and arrogant of me to go off and complain loudly and, and, and bellow and, and be on my pity pot about problems that other people would be grateful to have. Yeah? it to, to me it's, it's a pure matter of what if i got and what am i going to do with it you know what am i doing with what i've got i have to do the best for me with what i have and i can't sit there and well i wish i had this and i wish i had that because i don't so don't worry about it for me it came into a matter of wants and needs there are things that i wanted and there are things that i needed once i thought I was just drawing my lines and started saying first things first, you know, think about it, put my priorities straight and started laying down the line, okay, well, I have to do my homework, but I don't have to go to the movie. Well, I guess I get to do my homework then. Oh, giddy. Which wasn't necessarily very fun, but at least I got an A in most of my classes, you know, which is enjoyable to me now. I look back at my grade point average and I'm happy with it. I'm glad I put things first things first back in my earlier parts of high school and things. I didn't have to. By no means did I have to do that, but I did. I'm happy with it now. One of the things that I discovered in the Al-Anon program was my goals were changing, big time. And not only did I said I wanted to graduate from high school, I said I wanted to go to college, and did a lot of other things like that. I started setting goals for myself. The thing I had to make sure of was they were realistic. And I've often set unrealistic goals for myself. To me, it's much more enjoyable for me to set a realistic or a just below that goal and achieve it and go beyond it than it is to set one way off that I can't reach. Reaching for a star is good, but I do get tired after a while of trying to strive for something I can't get. And if I know I can't get it, it gets to be depressing to me Like I get my pity pot again. So with my gratitude, uh, one of the things I'm learning now when I'm of with service, which is fun doing right here, but uh, a friend of mine, Alice, used to always say that service was gratitude and action. And I honestly believe that. It's where I was grateful enough and I said, hey, you know, I really want to give something back to the program, what can I do? gosh, they've had all sorts of great stuff for me. It's it's really incredible. You put up a volunteer hand and they're like, oh great, here you go, (laughs) let's see what we can do. And so here I am. I've been to all sorts of conventions, assemblies, and conferences, but that's just the stuff you see in the service. This is just the outside service. And so for me, I often wonder about like um, our officers. I've been an officer and I, I know that road, But people who are taping, people who do things like that, people who set up the conferences like this, the people who are the chairpersons, people who read 12 steps when they're scared, they have never been up in front of people before. For me, it takes more guts it would seem i'm not sure of that it takes more guts for the people who've never been up here before to come here and read the 12 steps than it takes for me to come up here and let my higher power speak through me and to them i give the real gratitude and the real applause because for them it's something new it's the people who are coming new to service and doing parts what they haven't done before that always amaze me they're people who are stepping out of themselves and, you know, they're doing something that they're not really sure if they want to do, but well, I guess we're supposed to say yes, so we'll see what we can do. And here we go. With God's help, they get it done. I must say I'm proud of them, every last one of them. The 12th um, step has been an important part of my life also. The um, 12 stepping, helping other people by helping myself through them by letting them tell me their problems. And we discuss how mine are kind of related and things like that, you know, going back and forth, trying not to give advice, which is easier for me to do. It has helped my life, I think, more than any other part of the Al-Anon program. It was the third part of my legacy, the first part of the triangle, of course, is recovery. Second leg is unity in the group. And the third leg is recovery. Without that, I mean, it's service. Um, Without that third leg of the triangle, I wasn't stable. Without service, without going out and helping others, without letting other people come to me, without making the Al-Anon programs a regular part of my life and a regular part of how I live, the Al-Anon program doesn't do me a whole lot of good the Alateen 12 steps and I to all parts of my life and to not not just you know like at school that's it's fairly easy when you take it to or not just at, you know at the meetings not just with at home with the alcoholic but for me to apply to all parts that is what for me the program is all about there's a story I heard I heard for the first time today but it's about Bill W. Say it was a short time before he died. He was in a hospital visiting someone and the young man ran up to him and uh, said, I just want to thank you for what your program's done for me. He recognized him. He said, I've got my job back. I've got my my wife back. It's incredible. I've turned my life around. I just want to thank you. (laughs) Bill W just kind of smiled and looked at him. He only had one thing to say to him. And that's really about the only thing i have to say to you pass it on just pass it on it's something that we have to do and it's something's it's responsibility i have it's something that even when my alcoholics have stopped drinking my mom's going on she's just got her, her fourth birthday my sister's going to have her fourth here just in july yeah that's getting up there that's not you know that's a little ways I have responsibility irregardless of whether I have a drinking alcoholic in my home or whether I have any alcoholic in my home to pass it on to other people because when I came into the Alateen and Al-Anon programs there were people there to show me where I needed to go and I don't really like to think about for very long where I would be right now if it wasn't for this program. I really don't. And so out of sheer sure gratitude, I have that responsibility to pass it on to other people. I'd like to thank the committee for having me up here. I'm not sure, I know, I met, met Kathy, I just met her just this morning a little while ago, and Chris, and them. And um, I think they did a wonderful job for the first time. It's been a short lead, but I don't know. It's the way it goes sometimes. It's interesting, usually, no. I don't know if you saw this time, this time I happen to take some notes, usually I don't. There are a couple things I wanted to point out. They're in the lead. Maybe you heard it, maybe you didn't. Each person has a certain story and a certain a certain message they have to give to other people. I've never been to a meeting where I never heard anything. I never didn't hear something I could take back with me. All I can say is I hope I gave you something. Thanks again. Have a nice day.